Alright, so if you don't remember, we are studying the book of Galatians. So, trivia time. One a billion degrees like that. <laughs> oh, it's hot, but it's it worked. Didn't didn't burn my tongue off. All right, so we're studying Galatians. So trivia number one: Who wrote Galatians? That was not a confident answer. You know the answer. Paul. 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 Paul is the answer. The the what Paul? We emphasized that last week. Apostle Paul, which is how the book starts off. So if you remember Galatians one, Paul an apostle. What was the big deal with that word? Sent with authority. Oh, man, perfect. So someone who is sent with authority. So who sent Paul? God. Jesus Jesus specifically. So what kind of authority did Paul have? Paul authority. We could say apostolic authority. And when we say apostolic authority, we do specifically mean he was sent by Jesus directly and has the authority um, from Christ. So you may remember in... The Gospels, especially Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says at one time, he calls the twelve together and says, I'm I'm giving you authority over unclean spirits, over sickness, and to go out and preach this Gospel. And when he gave them authority, um, it was a real authority. So we see when the apostles do ministry in the New Testament, we see both the original twelve, we see Paul doing this, who's called later, the untimely apostle. He doesn't ask God's permission to heal someone. What does he do? He just tells them to be healed because Jesus gave him the authority to say so. He can just command that cancer to cease to exist. And just like the cancer has to obey Jesus, the cancer has to obey anything Jesus gave authority to to obey. That was complicated. Jesus said, whatever you say will will come to pass, essentially. And so that's what the apostles are. That's what Paul is. Now, why was that important for our discussion in the book of Galatians? Why does Paul emphasize right at the beginning Hey, I'm, I'm Paul the Apostle, sent not through men, but through Jesus Christ directly. What's he doing in saying all of that? So he's emphasizing specifically that he has the authority to tell them what to do. In this case, what to believe, and maybe more specifically, what not to believe. So do you remember our setting for the book of Galatians? He's writing to deal with a particular group of people. Do you remember? Judaizers. Again, just to remind you, that word's not in the Bible. This is our word to describe these people mentioned in the Bible. And what were these people doing that Paul's so upset about? Okay, so their goal is to take Gentiles who are believers and turn them into Jews. Well, turn them into Jews in what sense? What did they have to do? Circumcision is what in the Old Testament? It's the sign of the covenant. It's the entry point into the covenant. So if you're Gentile, have you been circumcised? Not in their culture. So they have not been circumcised. These Judaizers are saying, no, you have to be circumcised or you're not the real deal. We're going to see a lot of this come up. Paul's going to have a very harsh attitude towards these guys, but they're connecting it to the gospel. They're not just saying, hey, it's pragmatically beneficial for you to to do this practice they're saying to be truly god's people to be truly saved which is our key word for this entire text to be truly saved not only do you have to believe in jesus you have to be a jew you have to not eat pork if you ate red beans and rice tonight you're going to hell 
Because there was there was pork in there. It wasn't the beans or the rice. So you follow what I'm saying, right? So this is what they're arguing. So Paul's writing the book of Galatians, the letter to the churches of Galatia to confront this problem. That problem wasn't there when he planted the church. He preached the true gospel. After he left, people came in and were teaching this doctrine. The church, unfortunately, started getting in line with this this false gospel. And now Paul's writing this letter to say, you're done. That's essentially what he's going to say in much harsher terms than than that. So we we did the introduction last week, which is just the first five verses. So now we're going to pick up in verse 6, which says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. All right, so before we deal with the different gospel, it makes sense we deal with the correct gospel first. So how would you define that word gospel? So literally, the word itself just means good news. Evangelism, you know that word? It's connected. Evangelion, it's just good news, literally, in Greek. That's what the word means, is good news. But it's not just good news in general. I mean, my birthday was a few weeks ago. That was good news. Actually, no, I'm getting older now. I'm getting to the point where it's not good news anymore. All right, but, you know, the kids, as far as they're concerned, that's good news. The birthday's coming up. I know Pax is getting excited. That birthday's around the corner. You know, good news. But we don't mean good news in general. So what's the good news we're talking about? Best news. The best news. So I heard Jesus. Heard the word best. Did I hear the word Messiah? Yes. That's not bad at all. Well, that is the word gospel. What else? Salvation. Ooh, salvation. Key word. Hope. Hope. Oh, yeah. Now we're getting good. Hope. Resurrection. We're getting there. That's a lot better. So let's fill in some blanks. So here's our definition. That's what we're going to say. So the gospel is the good news about the saving work of Christ accomplished through two things. You know what they are. His death and resurrection. Of course, we can see this, and we won't go there for the moment because of time. 1 Corinthians 15 contains one of the oldest um, oral traditions of the New Testament. It's at least within three years of the actual resurrection of Jesus. This is the formal statement of the church. Paul quotes it in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, what was also delivered to me, that Christ um, died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried on the third day, rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the basic bare-bone elements of the gospel is that Jesus died and that Jesus rose, but not just that they're historical things, they are historical, historical events, but that they have theological meaning, which is where we put that phrase, it's the good news about the saving work of Jesus Christ. So this word salvation, that's our key word. So last time we talked about salvation was from one thing to another thing. There's a lot of words that go along with salvation, a lot of questions we ask, like, like how, how do I get saved? Answer that question for me. Jesus Christ is 
believe, I'll just shorthand that and say believe in Jesus, meaning that stuff. Maintain good works. Because we would say if you don't have any good works ever, would we say you were saved? Probably not. But if we say maintain good works, it also sounds like we're saying works-based salvation. No. Well, okay. Remain what? faithful. Remain faithful. <laughs> okay. Pray. So you have to pray to get saved? Do you have to change your life? Yes. Do you have to? Another word for that is repent. Do you have to repent in order to be saved? Yes. yes. Okay. Well, that sounds like works. To be saved, you have to change enough of your lifestyle to call that repentance. We aren't changing our lifestyle. Okay. All right. All right. So we're getting into the weeds. Let's let's try to trim the hedges now and let's let's get this pretty. So let's uh, fill in a few blanks. So I'm going to be pulling this from a lot of different Pauline letters. And then we'll actually dive into the verses here at hand. So when we say Jesus died on the cross, here's what we're saying. Jesus died on the cross to save us from both the penalty and the power of sin. Penalty and power. So let's look at this. Actually, turn to Romans chapter 3. If you have any church background at all, you probably know at least one verse from Romans chapter 3. Anybody want to take a stab? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that falls right in the middle of the paragraph. It's not even a whole sentence. So instead, let's start at Romans 3, verse 21. And let's see how Paul is defining the gospel in that context. Here we go. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, or the justice of God has been manifested apart from the law. So in other words, he's going to mean not through the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So how many works have you done in that paragraph? Zero. Nothing. What has God done? He's justified what kind of people? Well, everyone, but there is a specific type of people. I technically is everyone. I get that. Sinners. He justifies sinners. As Jesus said, he didn't come to save the healthy. He came to save the sick. So we could say in one sense Jesus didn't come for everybody because he didn't come for anybody that was righteous. Except there actually wasn't anybody righteous. So, so there's, there's a loophole in that statement. All right, so instead, verse 25, we have this Jesus Christ whom God put forward. This is my favorite word in the Bible, probably. Propitiation. Now, we don't have time to fully dive into that word, but I know everybody in this room has heard this word at least one time. All right, at least. What's this word? Simple, shortest definition you give me. Representative. That's not far. That sounds close. Proxy. Proxy. So you have to be these things in order for the word to matter. 
That's not quite what that word means. Satisfaction is, is pretty good. Satisfaction of what? Debt. Okay, a debt. One particular debt. We're we're really close to the answer now. What is the what's the specific sin. one you can't repay? Sin. Sin. So we call it a debt from God's perspective. He would call it what? Sin. Oh. Well, we're not too forgiveness yet. We're we're in the bad news part. Wrath. Wrath. Very good. Oh, yeah. Or you know we call it punishment. <laughs> and so when we say satisfaction, propitiation means that Jesus is the satisfaction of those. So there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, this is part of the gospel, Romans 8, 1. We are not guilty anymore of that sin. Because who was guilty for us? Jesus. Jesus was guilty for us. He takes credit. It's much like a parent taking credit for, say, a kid does a, a, a vandalizing act of some kind. Well, who usually has to pay for that act? Parents do. Very similar sort of transaction. Someone who has greater authority, greater representation, has to pay the bill so to speak. And that's what Jesus is doing on our behalf. The debt of sin, the wrath and punishment are taken. That's what the word propitiation is. And that propitiation comes by his what? In verse 25? Blood. By his blood and we receive it how? Faith. Through faith. We believe in it. That's the role we play. So when we say Jesus died to save us from the penalty of sin, that's what we're talking about. But flip over two, pair, or two chapters, Romans chapter 6. Picking up in verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with them in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We die with Christ. That's the symbolism in baptism. What also dies in us when we die with Christ? The power of sin in our lives. So by default and by definition, to say that Jesus is our propitiation is also to say that he's our power to conquer sin. They're synonymous. So if you are propitiated, if you have been forgiven, if you have been saved, you've also been changed. They're synonymous. At the same time, we're saying both statements. So Jesus died on the cross to save us from both the penalty and power of sin. Next, Jesus rose from the dead to grant eternal life. Eternal life. And eternal life specifically means what in the scriptures? Oh, resurrection. Specifically, it means resurrection. And we raise twice. Right, my super nerds in the room remember this. We raise one time at conversion, and then the second time when? When Jesus comes back. What's the difference between the two resurrections? One spiritual, the first one is spiritual. In my heart, I'm dead in sin. I'm made alive in Christ. Resurrection. Then later, I'll literally come out of the grave. That's physical resurrection. So Jesus rose from the dead to give us eternal life in both senses. So you have eternal life now, but you also don't have eternal life yet because he hasn't come back yet and you don't have your new body. You, you with me? There's a tension in there. That's a different topic for another time, but just re recalling this. So what we're talking about when we say saved in the gospel. Because of the gospel, we are saved from the world of sin and transferred into the kingdom of Christ apart from any work of our own. We get adopted into a new family. This is his work. We don't, we don't work to make that happen. 
But here's what does happen. The last, last blank, and then we'll dive back into Galatians. It says, the certain effect of salvation is that our desires and actions are reoriented around the glory of Christ. And I call this the certain effect. Well, I call it a certain effect. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If a cure works 100% of the time, and you tell me you received the cure, but you still have the sickness, what do I know? Either it didn't work all the time, or you didn't receive the cure. Well, in this scenario, are we saying Jesus doesn't always work? Certainly not. We're saying Jesus saves to the uttermost every time, which was our whole study of Hebrews. Hebrews 7.25 is a great verse for that. So that's the gospel that Paul has preached. So he went to Galatia. He told them, believe in the gospel and you will be saved. He didn't say believe in the gospel and eventually you will be saved. Believe in the gospel, work hard at it, and eventually you'll be saved. What do you preach? Believe Believe the gospel and you will be saved. Period. So you believe in the gospel. What happens next? You are saved and then you start to change as the consequence of the work of the gospel. So when we say if the consequence is not there, neither was the cause. If good works are the effect and there's no good works, the cause is what's missing. Well, that's the logic we're using. All right, so that's what Paul is talking about when he says the true gospel. So back to verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1. That was a long introduction, but here we are. We have returned. Galatians 6, 1. I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So just following Paul's logic, if you distort the gospel, is it still the gospel? No. No. That's exactly right. There's only one gospel, and if you distort the gospel, you're believing in another gospel, which he says is actually not a gospel. So let's use the original word then. If it's not a gospel, then it's not what kind of news? It's not good news. So really, anytime we distort the gospel, that's the part we distort. It would still be news either way, right? We distort the good part. So to use Paul's word, anytime you mess with the gospel, it's going to trouble you. What's he saying? You're believing in a different gospel. And those who trouble you, there's always a negative effect of the gospel. And I want you to see the key word he used. So you're deserting him who called you into grace. Well, is grace a fitting word for everything we discussed in the previous section? How much of that did you do? How much of that did you earn? How much of that did you accomplish? Did you work for? Did you receive as a due payment for your righteousness? The answer is zero. So what we mean by grace? If salvation is by grace, can you do anything to earn it? No, because by definition, if you do something to earn it, you can't properly call it grace anymore. So it's always going to be a distortion of grace in some Wait, so let's think about how specifically these Judaizers are distorting grace. So here's our word. Grace through the blood of Christ. How are they distorting it? Adding works. And for 
them, what are those works? That's the summary. I can never spell that word. Something like that? Those letters are in it. All right, circumcision. I wrote it small so that not everyone can read it, but it says circumcision. All right. I can't read it if you write it big. All right, there you go. Then we'll call it a win. It says circumcision. All right, what else? Well, let's change the question then. What might we add? Because we're, we're not really facing the problem of Judaizers most of the time. They exist. You've got to do good work. Well, what are some specific examples that we would add? Tithes in the church. Tithes. Being baptized. And baptism, that's that's already related to this, isn't it? Yes. And Paul didn't say, hey, it's not circumcision that saves you, it's baptism. No, he didn't say that. It would have been a perfect opportunity if that were true, but he didn't say that. What else? Not us, but speaking in tongues. Okay. Yeah, that definitely happens. I was about to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching. I better preach that. Sorry. All right, all right, never mind. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Nobody leave. I mean, we can put whatever there, right? I mean, we could come up with something. We have a tendency to define ourselves by all sorts of things that may be good things, but they're not the gospel. You say something, Well, narrow the narrow the ability of who can belong in the club. Yes, that's always what it is. In some way, you are narrowing the definition of what it means to be God's people. Well, what's the simple definition of what it means to God's be God's people? Willing to accept His grace. It's faith in Christ, right? That's the definition. That's what marks us out as believers. We have faith in Christ. It's not these things. Though a true believer could be circumcised. Hopefully a true believer did get baptized. But that's not what saves you. All right, so if this is one side of the spectrum, this is what the Judaizers are doing. But to be fair, for our own context, can we go the other direction? What would happen if we go too far the other way? So there's a so over there we add works and here we <laughs> remove them. So in other words, do nothing. Somebody said fire insurance. Absolutely. You pray a prayer. One prayer. One call, that's all. The billboard, one prayer, that's all. You're in heaven, you can do whatever you want now. Totally, anything you want to do, you're good. Liberty, you have all. Absolute liberty. In fact, this is called libertarianism. Liberty. Absolute liberty. So where's the right answer then? Okay, so let's try to fill in some blanks and see if we can make sense of this. So the false gospel always distort the grace of Christ. It's always what's happening. And then false gospels always bring trouble to your spiritual life. So think about the implications if you do this. This is where you're supposed to be, but you lean to the ad works side. What happens to your spiritual life over here? Start worrying about working. Lots of anxiety. Am I good enough? There's an opposite to that coin. Judas. 
I am good enough. What does that person turn into? Self-righteous Pharisee. So the, the, oh, I'll never make it, I'm not good enough, is the same thing as a Pharisee. It's the same coin. It's head versus tails. It's the same problem. They're both over here. That's, is that healthy for your spiritual life, to always be worried about whether or not God loves you? Oh, he can't love me like that. If, if that's your attitude, just think about your, your devotional time. What's that going to look like? And the problem is if that's where your faith is, then you're lost and you don't even know it. Well, there's, I love uh, Matt Chandler, his expression for, I mean, we have a whole subculture of Christianity that's over here. And uh, he says, if, if you hang out over here too long, you end up inoculated to the gospel. How scary is that? I mean, but we know the scripture says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter through the kingdom of heaven. And it's mostly folks hanging out over here. So who's our best New Testament example of these guys? Generally speaking, besides the Judaizers. Pharisees, Pharisees yeah, exactly. This is the Pharisees. All right, so what if we go over here, though, and I have so much grace, it doesn't matter. I do whatever I want. Do whatever I want. That feels kind of nice, though. I got my ticket. I said my prayer. I'm good. Hey, we can quote scripture on that. Romans chapter 2, the more sins abound, the, the greater sin was, the more grace abounds. In fact, we could read that verse in chapter 3. Is that, Hey, why don't we just sin more? And then we get more grace. Consequently, God gets more glory. I sin more. In fact, to make matters even more interesting... Romans would say, the more you sin, every time you sin, it makes God look good in comparison. Right? That's how I am at ping pong. I'm really good at ping pong if no one good is in the room. You know what I'm saying? It's, just, it's, a, it's a relative skip. Okay? You put a professional in there, and it's like, never mind, I'm not going to play. Right? But every time we sin, it makes God look good, but not because... We're contributing to his glory, but because we're ultimately contributing to his justice when he pours out his wrath on us. Well, what else goes wrong? We're hanging out over here. Why is that bad? We haven't really even said yet. God doesn't give any glory. But we just said he did. Probably not saved. No, I would say if you're hanging out on either side... As your chief operating, this is your operating system, you're not saved. Someone who's hanging out here can send tendency in either direction. All right, but yeah, if you're hanging out here, you're not saved. Uh, but let's identify what's wrong with this side. Okay. Okay, so they don't care. It is kind of the opposite. Do these people over here care? Well, kind of overcare. Over here, don't care. Well, flesh that out. If you don't care, what is that symptomatic of in you? Narcissism. <laughs> Apathy. Apathy. Well, that's just another way of saying don't care, but that is a good word. It's a great word. It's a great word. It's better than don't care. It sounds so like, wow. You know? They don't fear God. Okay, all right, we're going in the right direction with that. Oh, do what you want. You can, like a, uh, if this is your attitude, what does it also tell me about you? You don't fear God. What kind of person wouldn't fear God? You're your own God. 
Oh, those are correct answers. Y'all are y'all are saying great things. It's just it's, we're playing this game called Read Brian's Mind, and no one's doing it. Um, blind, okay. blind, blind. Sorry. You know, it's just more entertaining if you get there on your own. What does it start with? Okay. All right. So let me just illustrate it like this. Can you think of a single time in the Bible where someone met God and was like, oh, I'm not scared of that? Yeah, not where they knew he was going. Jonah, <laughs> Jonah got in the bottom of that well in the belly. All right, so let me let me let me carve out examples where they don't necessarily know they're talking to God. Jesus, they don't necessarily know they're talking to God. All right, but think about all these Old Testament stories where they literally see some manifestation of God's presence. What happens every time? They face trembling. So. If you don't fear God, I already know something about you. You've never seen him. You don't know him. So if you have no fear of God and you're camping out over here, it's because you have no relationship with God. You're absolutely void. Poor in spirit. You don't know God. Because if you met him, even in grace, if you met him, you would fear him. Uh, you have read Chronicles of Narnia or seen the movies? Aslan, you know, it's Jesus in that narrative. And uh, I love the way C.S. Lewis words that Aslan is not safe, but he's good. You know, and there's that tension there between the two. If you've seen God, you have a fear of him. If you've experienced God, you really recognize who he is. So what we're saying is on this side, you're worshiping some sort of idol that's telling you to behave a certain way. We'll make a little more sense of that in a moment. On this side, you're probably your own idol. Do whatever you want to, and you haven't met God or seen him. In both of these cases, you're not walking in a good spiritual position. It's going to trouble your relationship with God if you err to either side. So it's one thing to camp out there, but if you are this and just lean that way, or just lean this way, is there still spiritual trouble? Yeah, absolutely. If we lean this way, I might not have the peace I should have. I should be walking in peace and know that, that I'm forgiven, I'm loved. The Good Good Father song, it's, it's, you know, it's who I am. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's powerful to say. You can't say that if you're hanging out over here because you're worried about what you did wrong. Over here, you're not paying attention to God at all. If you hang out over there, you miss it, you lose it, you're losing your devotion. So either way, you, you find trouble. So if grace is underemphasized, we must work for our salvation. If grace is overemphasized, we grow discontent with holiness. So if it's underemphasized, we must work for our salvation. If grace is overemphasized, then we grow discontent. But grace properly understood empowers not only our actions but also our heart's deepest desires that's what's changing us when we experience the work of god it changes me it begins a change in me all right so let's look at verses eight and nine verse eight galatians 1 8 says but if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel Contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, what's accursed mean? 
We have another English word for that that we don't say much in our current culture. Well, accursed. It's kind of so. It, it's it begins with D. Okay, <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's exactly what this word means. Let him be accursed. Let him be. You know, if it was a hundred years ago and we were preaching a revival sermon, this would be let him be damned. That's exactly what we would say in that that context. But let who be damned? Who, who specifically are we saying? The person preaching the false. Whoever's gospel. preaching a false gospel, even if that's an angel <clears throat> from heaven itself. At least not anymore, right? Or can we think of modern false religions that had angels come from heaven and change things? And um, Islam, both. Angel Gabriel and Islam, I believe. Um, angels don't get to come and change this. Moroni is in, um, yeah, Mormonism. So, no, even an angel from the Lord. Angels showed up right here, right now and said, no, because I've got this wrong. Here's what it is. We would say, oh, no, you can go to. That's exactly. This is biblical precedent. Yeah, you can go to Hades. You can go to the bad place. Okay. Do what? Well, Gehenna is. Oh, I don't remember. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so you let that angel or that person preaching be accursed. And he just reinforces it as though we didn't get it in the first verse, verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, and he said this before, like literally the line before. So he's like double emphasizing in the same paragraph. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Why is Paul's gospel better than everyone else's? It has authority. It has authority because it's from... It's from Jesus directly. The gospel comes from Christ directly. In fact, that's what Paul's going to spend the next, um, the rest of this chapter, which we'll cover next week. He's talking about how he literally verbatim got this gospel from Jesus Christ in person. A lot of people miss this. They say, well, Paul, he didn't get to hang out with the, with Jesus like the other 12 did. No, he did. Except he got it one-on-one instead of 12-on-one. So there's a sense in which he got a better seminary education hanging out with Jesus than than they did. But he even goes through a long narrative about how he compared his gospel to what they received, and it's the same, which is what we'll see in chapter 2. But the point is, that gospel comes from Christ directly. So going further, so any other source for the gospel must be aligned to what Christ has given. If it's different at all, by default it's wrong because... Who's the ultimate authority on the gospel? Well, Jesus is. It's his gospel. It's his work. He's God. You can't disagree with him. So Christ gave his authority to the apostles alone. Alone. Now, this is significant. So I grew up in church. After John 3.16, after perhaps the Roman road for all of sin, um, one of the most important verses I learned as a kid growing up in church was, um, the Great Commission. Uh, how does the Great Commission start? No. Before go. As. Not as you go. All right. All right. Before that, and it, I can tell what kind of church you're in. That's a different verse. That's that's part of John. Yeah. All authority has been given to me. Not 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 Brian. Jesus speaking says, all authority has been given to me. me. 
Now you go. Now what happened when he called the 12 together and sent them out to do miracles in Israel? He said, I'm, I'm giving you authority. Now go. That's not the commission he gave us. The commission he gave us is, I have all the authority. And I'm keeping that authority. You go. Only the apostles got that extra piece. That said, all authority. Or you, you have my authority to go. No, that's not what he gave us. So it's only the apostles who have that. So is there any chance the gospel message is going to be updated or changed? No. Is Jesus going to come and change the gospel? No. No, no he wouldn't. He's given us the final commission. All right, next point. So when someone contradicts, or when something contradicts the gospel, the authority of God is called into question. If you've worked that out, so all changes to the gospel count as full-scale assaults against the glory of Christ. Now, Paul, remarkably, is an incredibly patient apostle. So there's some guys one time that are preaching the gospel with bad motives. What does Paul say about it? Do you know? At least it's the gospel getting preached. Think about that. He's okay. I mean, maybe not best case scenario, but he's okay with people preaching the gospel for the wrong reason. As long as it's still the gospel. What about, can you eat pork? <coughs> if you're with Jews, should you eat the pork? Can you eat the meat sacrificed to an idol? How's Paul handle questions like that? Go with the flow. Go with, the flow. Go with your conscience. Go with your brother's conscience. Don't offend somebody. So right? You know, it's better. Just, just don't eat the meat if that's the deal. Just peace. Have peaceful relationships as far as it's possible. But if you salt the gospel, what's Paul say? I'll let you be accursed. Think about the severity. Paul has a, a metric here. Not everything is let him be accursed material. But the gospel is. You don't mess with the gospel. You don't add works to the gospel. You don't remove holiness from the gospel. You don't change the gospel. That causes... Yeah. Oh, oh, that was great. I should have said that. You don't change the gospel. The gospel changes you. Thank you. I'll let you write. You were probably going to say it. You know, it was. I suppressed it. No, no, okay. I saw it coming. It was so close. You know, you read my mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So did we fill it? Yeah, we did. All right. Let's read the last verse then, and this is where we'll we'll end it for tonight. So verse ten. For I for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If we were still trying to please man. I would not be a servant of Christ. So obviously, Paul's trying to please who? He's trying to please Christ. So is he going to manipulate the gospel in any way to make people like it better? No, not in any way whatsoever. He's going to preach the gospel the way it's supposed to be preached. So here's how I want us to think about that. Every time you believe in a false gospel, these false gospels always serve an idol. Always. What was the idol for the Judaizers, you think? The law. The law was an idol for them. Their their own zeal, their own righteousness. You could call it a version of pride. Maybe their own individual selves are standing on that altar and they're they're worshiping themselves or or the the idol of some other example that they love. It's like, you know, I, I hate to say this, but sometimes it's easy for me to idolize other preachers. 
It's like, man, that, that dude's got it. I want to be like him. And then I start trying to do things that he would like. Mm, okay. Even if he liked it for good reasons, that shouldn't be why I do it. <coughs> you follow what I'm saying? He's becoming an idol to me, whatever it is. So sometimes false idols aren't false idols on purpose. You've made them false idols. In fact, most false idols are not real anyway. It's what you've done with it in your heart. So false gospels always serve an idol. Our inner motives and fears can pinpoint what idols we are serving. So our inner motives and fears can pinpoint what idols we are serving. So in other words, you can think about what are you anxious about in your Christian life or just in life. Those can help identify what our idols are. Are so who is it in your life you're worried about disappointing? You probably have somebody, something, maybe even a, a group of people that may represent oh, you don't want to disappoint you. You measure your decisions through who will be happy with those decisions. Maybe I'm just confessing too much. Anybody relate to that at all? It's like, oh man, this group of people, or you know, when you're younger, it's easy for that to be your parents. No, but hope, hopefully that grows. It doesn't need to be your parents. It ultimately needs to be who? Christ. It's Christ. I want Christ to be pleased. That's what he's saying here. I'm not serving man. I, I want Jesus to be pleased with my actions. The truly converted person who's experienced the grace of God <laughs> wants to please Christ. So, so why do I want to do a specific good work? Now, if you've got church background, this is easy to get polluted, um, especially when it comes to giving. When it comes to serving in the church, it's real easy for us to slip into a, oh yeah, everybody will be proud of me now. Everybody know I'm a real Christian now. Well, what are you doing if you start slipping in that direction? It's becoming an idol to you. Well, yeah, you need to repent, but you're slipping into the some form of idolatry. In that case, the one that's more of the Judaizer kind, which is what church people do have a tendency to do more of. Um, and then some churches, of course, lean the other way. Both of them are wrong. And then why do I neglect my devotion to the Lord? This is going to be more on this category. And I could spend time with Jesus. I could have a quiet time. I could have more devotion. I could do more church fellowship stuff, spend time with believers. But instead, this other thing's got me. Well, what is that other thing? That's different for everybody. Could be TV, could be a TV show. I mean, I, I like a good story like the other person, but those things can't be more important to me. So this is just a metric. And I'm not saying if you watch a TV show and like a TV show that you worship it, but this is a good checkpoint. What are you trying to please? Trying to please some other person? That's what this one would be. Am I trying to please some inner desire that I have? Both of these are forms of idolatry. Both of them are corrupt. Both of them are corruptions of the gospel, and in all cases, I just need to repent, put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now we'll define what that means a hundred thousand times over the next six months as we walk through this book. But that's where we're going, and this Galatians is going to spend a lot of time answering that question: What does it mean to put your faith in Jesus? And my favorite verse is Galatians 2:20, best single verse for the whole thing. Who knows that one? Oh, y'all know this one. If I start it, I am crucified with Christ. It's all right who lives with Christ who lives in me. All right, any questions on this topic? We've done pretty good.
Chase the rabbit. You can't really distort the gospel of Christ because if you distort the gospel of Christ, then it's not the gospel of Christ. Correct. That is correct, yes. Which is exactly what Paul's saying. You're believing in a different gospel. I mean, there's not a different gospel. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's only one. Can't be changed. Right, well, any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, just a, uh, years ago, I uh, helped a lady out of the gas station in the Driving here from Birmingham with two old guys taking the day out. Mm -hmm. She broke down on the bridge. And for an hour, people just drove by. She was trying to get. The guy who helped her and showed her the gas station, if you'd have seen them, you'd have been afraid of them. He was a very large guy, six something, very muscled up. Calling me? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for covered in prison tattoos, okay. including his face. Yeah. It's very obvious to me this guy had been done a lot of time and an Aryan Brotherhood kind of guy. He got saved in prison and he couldn't change how he looked. But I can promise you that hundreds of good church going people pass that way on that bridge that didn't The guy who helped him uh, would have been you you would have not He was crucified him. with Christ. Exactly. Yeah. That guy was a contractor, yeah. he two of his workers with him, and he had a job waiting and, and spent two hours trying to help him. Uh, it's, a, it's a testimony to the fact And there's billions of stories just like that. Paul. Just yeah. like that, except his work. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's close in prayer. And, uh, oh, oh, yeah. I wonder about class one where it says, why do I neglect the invitation of the Yeah, it could. Oh, absolutely. That's a great observation. Absolutely. I can go there. Because I feel so good about myself. I'm such a good Christian. I checked my box today. That attitude is this side. It's just, yeah. Questions like that are great metrics for helping us kind of do diagnostic work on our hearts. Great question. All right, well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Scott, Fax, do you have a question? Yes, I can, bud. Absolutely. Oh, that's so sweet, isn't it? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, I pray that you would bless this time we spend in your word. So we've read the scriptures tonight as we've thought about what Paul said. Pray that that word, the truth of the gospel, would ring clear in our hearts, that we would respond to it in faith, um, that we wouldn't try to earn salvation, but that we would receive it as freely given, as purely grace, and that that grace would motivate us to follow, to serve, and to obey, and that we would have a high view of, of Christ, a high view of the scriptures, and our desires to follow you would change. I pray for my son, Pax. I pray that you would open his eyes to see the goodness of the gospel and, and not just the, the fear that comes from sin and conviction. I pray that you'd help me to teach him well and help us as a church to, to, to be good examples to Pax and to all the children in our church, that we would show them what it's like to follow Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, what it's like to have lives that reflect a genuine desire to honor you. And I pray that you would bless our church, bless my son, bless small own ministry as we preach this gospel faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.